Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. Listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 101260 with your questions, comments, or smart ass remarks. And welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Michelle, and we're your weekly source for performance information. Hey, thanks for joining in today. I hope everybody out there had a great Mother's Day weekend. Hope you were able to either spend time with your mom, get her on the phone, or do one of those incredible video conferences with her. Uh, such great technology allowing us to reach out and stay connected. And I hope everybody was able to have a great, great weekend with their moms. We had a fantastic Mother's Day here with Mrs. Crusher. I hope you guys were able to have a great day as well. All right, if you want to get in touch with us, please reach out. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crushperformance is the email. Questions, comments, smart remarks. If you have a topic you'd like us to investigate or if you need help with something, let us know. We answer every single message we get and we may dedicate a segment or an entire episode to your topic or idea uh, because if you're thinking it or if you have a question, there's somebody else out there that probably does as well. And that's what the show's all about, getting you thinking about what you should be thinking about. Well, I'm telling you what we should be thinking about right now as we head into mid-May is where is sport? That's what we should be thinking about. When is it going to start up again? When are we going to be back in action? These are the things that's on everybody's mind in the sporting world. Wow, there's good news because out East, Korea, Taiwan, they are starting not only to play baseball, but Taiwan is now officially letting fans into the stadiums. So we're all watching with great interest. And uh, for the rest of the world, we're seeing Europe as they ease the COVID restrictions, talking about getting soccer underway. And we're seeing strategies in North America for the major sports. And hopefully that'll lead to the developmental, minor, grassroots sports starting up again. And it's an exciting time for everybody as we wade through these unprecedented times. So um, it's coming. So let's be ready. What can you do? To be ready. Well, we've been posting stay sharp drills and strategies. There's lots of great stuff on the internet right now, but we certainly all understand now that we have to use this time to get better. We have to use this time constructively to do things we wouldn't normally do if we were playing our sport or training and developing in a regular world because it's not regular in any way, shape, or form. We have to adapt. We have to find a way to get better. And it's one thing to work on your skill set, your strength and conditioning, to work on your athleticism. But there's a great quote that's just always stuck with me. And I I heard it years and years and years ago, and it's from uh, Coach Belichick. And of course, so many great things come from that culture that they've created there in New England with the Patriots. And we've learned a lot by watching great organizations operate. And from their leadership, time from time to time, we get these unbelievable little thoughts and a little insight into how they operate or how they've gone about constructing their performance environments. And Belichick said at one point, good players can't overcome bad coaches. Think about that for a second. Good players cannot overcome bad coaching. And if you want to extend that even further, just from our perspective, you know, we are going to talk performance environments today. Get ready. Today is going to be one of those crushed conversations that they just it's going to be up there. It's going to be in the top ranking conversations, I believe, of all time. We're going to talk performance environments with Chris Woodward, the manager of the Texas Rangers. There's some very, very special things going on there. Chris had a great, great playing career. He had a great coaching career. uh, And one of his goals was to always manage. He knew that he could contribute as a leader, as a player, certainly as a coach. Uh, And, you know, one of his goals was to become a manager. And when that started to come to fruition. When that started to become uh, something that was tangible and doable, he interviewed for the manager position in New York. And I think that really let the baseball world know that he was ready and interested in stepping into that part of the game. 
Well, he got the job last year with the Texas Rangers, and they're doing some really, really incredible work. I had Chris as a player, and that's why I'm watching this one so closely, because his approach as a player was very, very unique. And uh, he was one of those players that really, really created his own opportunities. And now to see him as, as a leader in one of the most grueling competitive leagues in all of sport, how are they going to go about putting together this performance environment? And what does a performance environment look like? Well, again, working off Belichick's famous quote, good players can't overcome bad coaching. True. So true at every single level of sport. That is, that, that is true. And let's take it one step further. As I mentioned, can good coaching overcome a bad environment? If you have great talent, you got great coaching. It's got to come from great leadership. It's not about the bells and whistles. We've seen that. I mean, you could go read Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. You can look at some of the research done on some of the um, most successful sporting organizations ever to put out athletes. And, and they don't have all the equipment. They don't have all the technology. Some of them do, but it's not a deal breaker when it comes to creating talent or allowing talent to reach its full potential. In one of the great studies done looking at talent and talent development, human development, Sozniak and Bloom conducted a research project called the Development of Talent Project, where they looked at a bunch of youngsters from a bunch of different areas of human performance, from music to chess to culinary arts. They looked at, of course, athletes as well. And when they went in, in, in one of the quotes from their research summary, when they went in, they were expecting to find you know, exceptional individuals. But to their surprise, that's not what they found. To their surprise, what they did find were exceptional conditions. So that leads us to the question, how powerful is the environment? on the development of talent and helping athletes who are already talented truly, truly tap into their potential. Well, I can tell you this, get ready for what may very well be a masterclass in developing a performance environment because this conversation with Chris Woodward um, is going to be a blockbuster. We're going to talk about expectations and accountability. What is the secret sauce for helping athletes understand and connect the dots from training and learning into performance. And how does that happen in a competitive setting? Very, very rarely do you hear the words safety and love used in the, in the world of professional sports, but they're making their way in and to great, great effect. What is the definition of fun? And if you were to tell your athletes, I don't care if you fail. What impact do you think that might have on their ability and their mindset even in training and in competition? When you can create fearless athletes, you open up the doors of potential and that's just how it works. And when you focus on the right things, this is what we're going to talk to Chris about today. What should you be focusing on if you want to unleash that power, unleash that fearless, free spirit to go and attack and perform at their very highest. It takes time. Everybody knows talent development takes time, but how do you push it forward in the right way? Well, get set for a fantastic conversation because coming up right after this break, we're going to talk with Chris Woodward, the manager of the Texas Rangers about performance environments. Oh, this is going to be a good one. Stick around. Everybody we will be right back with Chris Woodward of the Texas Rangers right here on crush performance. If you have any performance questions, comments, or smart remarks, text Crusher at 10-12-60 and follow him on Twitter at Jeff Crush. Now, here he is, the Crusher. All right, welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Well, today we're talking performance environments. What does it take to help your athletes tap into, develop, and really realize their true potential? Well, we know it takes time. It doesn't necessarily take fancy equipment and all the bells and whistles, though some of them may help. There's no question about that. But it takes leadership. It takes leadership, vision, and this thing called maybe culture. And, and what exactly is culture? Well, that's, that's a moving target as well. There's no true definition of culture. And why does one approach work in one environment, but the very same approach might fail somewhere else? Well, this is where we get into the art form of performance and talent development. Because along with all the science and everything that we know, there's also an art form to really tapping into and understanding what it truly takes. 
And today we are going to get into that. If you want to reach out to us, please do so. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crushperformance is the email. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush and on Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, and all the social media pa- uh, channels. Punch in Crush Performance and, and we'll hook you up there. But without further ado, let's get into it. What does it truly take to create a performance environment? What do those environments look like? We're joined now by Crush Favorite. Mr. Chris Woodward, the manager for the Texas Rangers. Woody, welcome back to the show, my good friend. Always a pleasure, Chris. Can't wait to talk to you. Well, I've really been looking forward to talking to you, Woody, to get your impressions on sport and especially baseball in these crazy times. But before we get there, I want to ask you, you're going into your second year as the manager of the Texas Rangers. What an incredible opportunity in this day and age Um, and inside of an organization that is very, very focused on not just being competitive, but going for a championship in one of the most competitive leagues and one of the toughest competitive schedules in all of sport. Um, you've got great leadership there, great ownership, a brand new stadium that we can't wait to open. Um, Woody, how's it been going for you in this first year? What an exciting time for the organization. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I really enjoyed obviously last year. And, and when you, you know, you get the job, you know, I didn't know anybody in the organization and um, new to everybody there, you know, starting basically from scratch and, you know, what we built, I guess, in the year's time, just the the mindset, the uh, the attitude, you know, the culture that we created. Um, that's what I'm most proud of, obviously. And uh, I I know that the results will show. You know, the players fully bought in to what we were what we were preaching, and uh, uh, that was probably that meant the most to me. You know, to, to the staff members that we hired. You know, they they all obviously. You know, the one thing I'm I'm not hard on our staff, but I'm there's definitely some. Uh, some things that are non-negotiables from a staff standpoint, you know, the lack of ego, you know, the you got to bring a positive attitude every day. There's certain, you know, attributes that our staff members have to have, and it's, uh, they all have it um, in their own way. Uh, and, you know, the, the progress that we made in that, in that last year was uh, far greater than I could have anticipated, to be honest with you. And I have really high expectations, um, as you know, crush in a lot of different areas. So, that area, you know, I had the highest expectations and in a lot of ways we actually exceeded that, which uh, I didn't think was possible. But, you know, as we moved into, you know, this is a year round thing, right? This is a 12 month job that, you know, I you know, love and embrace every day. And, you know, the off season, the season went really well, a lot of progress in the off season. You know, my biggest thing to our players was we got to win the off season. And, you know, the, the work they put in, the work that our staff put in, um, the learning that our staff, you know, the improvements that our players made over the over the course of the winter, um, they came into camp, they were ready to go, man. It was, you know, it gave me goosebumps just thinking about it because I, I saw the work that these guys put in. And, and you know, Crush, from a physical standpoint and a mental standpoint, when you see the difference, you can see it right away. And, you know, they were heavily invested. They were understanding of what we were talking about. They were eager to learn more. Uh, they, they, they hopped into meetings with, you know, an energy and a, and a passion that they, they were adding more value to everything that we were doing. And that to me said, okay, we got something, we got something going here. And we added a lot of really good pieces. So, you know, what looked like a, you know, a, a rebuild maybe last year has turned into, you know, we got a really good team. Like we got, you know, we have good pitching, probably the best starting five in baseball. And I'm not saying that just because they're ours, but, you know, man for man, like, we have, you know, one through five, you know, as deep as you can get in the big leagues. Um, and, you know, starting with that, like that sets the tone for the rest of the team, obviously. And, you know, we got a, a bullpen with a bunch of really good young arms and offensively, you know, the the growth that we saw last year, I couldn't wait to see that carry over to this year because I already saw it in spring training. Um, we had a lot of guys that just, like I said, when they, when they pushed their chips all in, man, you could see there was a huge difference in just their, their mindsets when they stepped on the field and they were competitive, they were playing their hearts out. They couldn't wait to play this year. And then obviously, you know, we got the news um, and it kind of shut everything down, but uh, these guys are still eager to get after it. I talked to a lot of them, you know, on a daily basis and um, they're, they were doing the best they can to stay ready, but they're, they're chomping at the bit. That's for sure. We got a team that's uh, ready to be kind of let out the gates for, you know, lack of a better word, but uh um, our guys are ready to to get out there and compete again. Yeah, I really, really like that. We're talking with Chris Woodward, the manager for the Texas Rangers. Well, w- what an opportunity, Woody, to step into an organization that is looking to make some 
major changes and, and move into this modern era of sport, a very, very rare opportunity. And I'm so glad that it worked out for the organization and you, but you mentioned something there that was really, really important. This whole concept of culture, culture is a really, really interesting concept. It's not something you can touch or feel. It's not something you can even see. It's an attitude. Maybe it's a thought process. It's a, a belief system. Maybe it's expectations and accountability. And there's no set definition of exactly what culture is. Leave alone what a successful culture looks like. When you got the job, Woody, what an interesting challenge it must have been to sit back and look what was going on and then decide how to steer this ship moving forward. How in the heck did you handle it? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you know when, we, when we obviously worked together, um, when I was in Toronto, I, I had a lot of ideas and a lot of thoughts on, you know, what I felt was right. And, you know, we've had many conversations over the years about this stuff. You know, when you start putting down on paper and you start, uh, you know, when I got towards the end of my playing career and into coaching, you know, I really valued just writing some things down, trying to to really fine tune, you know, the, the philosophies because, you know, the word culture gets thrown around a lot and it's, it yeah. becomes, it, it's a little bit watered down in a lot of ways. It's like, oh, we have the best culture. What is that? What does that mean? Because it is intangible. So, you know, I had to really start thinking through and, and this, you know, probably, really refined a lot of these philosophies and ideas, you know, three or four years ago, you know, when I got the opportunity to, to think about managing, you know, that, that wasn't, that was obviously a goal of mine, but I always wanted to be part of a, of a, of a culture that I believed in, um, whether I was a manager or not, you know, I didn't really mind to be honest with you. Um, I value leadership and I know I can provide leadership even if I'm not the top guy. And we did that in LA. And, you know, when I got this job, you know, you have to set, you have to see where you are currently and, and cultures, you know, it, it's, it moves, you know, it's, it's, it's organic and it, and it has a lot to do with the personnel you have in the organization. So our culture, even with me at the lead, may be different in Cleveland or different in Toronto or different, you know, in LA than it would be in Texas based on the personnel we have. And so, you know, that's something that I, you know, you, you look at the individuals that can provide value um, but there are non-negotiables, right? And you have these pillars that you stand for. You know, and in our organization, a lot of these pillars were already there. I didn't have to create the high integrity, you know, the high character, the morality, the, the family first mentality that the organization already had. So that was like really, really uh, satisfying for me to know when I interviewed. And then when I finally got in the organization and was hired, that these are the, the core values of the organization. So those things, you know, really make my job a lot easier. Um, but when it comes to, you know, actually changing the culture, like the positive mindset, like I had to explain why, what does that mean? Like, what is being positive? Does it just mean you're happy every day? Absolutely not. But I'm not happy after we lose, you know, we, you know, we play really not good baseball. Um, we make some mistakes. I'm not happy, but I have a positive outlook to change the course the next day. In a lot of, you know, the situations I was brought up in, it was always negative. It was reactive, um, you know, instead of being proactive and being positive in your outlook to, to help players and help coaches, you know, grow and learn. Um, I think that was probably one of the biggest things. And honestly, like, um, just the growth mindset in learning the game. The game has advanced so much um, in five years, let alone 10 years and 15 years. Like, you know, we first got to the big leagues together, it was a completely different game than it is now. And um, we can help players in so many different ways now. Uh, we know so much more about what they do on the field and what's between their ears um, to help them. And I think that was something that uh, I was really, really uh, looking forward to maybe providing some guidance and some leadership in that regard to just keep pushing people to, you know, which eventually pushes our players to understand things on a deeper level. And those are two, like, really big things that, uh, obviously, you know, I instilled and, and I just live every day. I'm just really eager to learn and curious to learn. So from the top, you know, you set that standard and that's where I think, you know, the organization kind of, you know, pushed itself forward in a lot of ways. Um, because of that. Oh, I really like that. We're talking with Chris Woodward, the manager for the Texas Rangers. And, you know, if we look at the game of baseball, ha has there ever been a game that's changed so much so quickly? I think we'd be hard-pressed to find a sport that, that has changed as much as baseball has in such a short time. And now, technology has a lot to do with that, but also our understanding of sport performance and athlete and player development and, and how we're now addressing 
not just the player, but the person as a whole were so much better at looking at the big picture and the long-term aspects of development. It's a new age, and it's such an exciting time to be part of the sport, Woody. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, I, I think our players, you know, when I, when I got the job, you know, they, it's not that they hadn't received the information. They just hadn't been presented. They hadn't had it presented to them in a way that they could understand. And, you know, I think, like I said, every year that goes by, you know, some, we're learning something more and something more, you know, on the technical side, on the force side, you know, how people use their body. And, and you know, on the pitching side, you see why guys are throwing 100 miles an hour all the time. Like we are literally maximizing human beings, um, not only it's physically, true. but mentally, like yeah. getting to understand, you know, who they are and why they do what they do and um, getting deep into their psyche, deep into their into their core, like neurological patterns. Like, I mean, this, it sounds like science fiction, but it's, it's true. Like, why does, you know, so-and-so keep swinging at this slider? This guy has the same exact swing. You, know, you can take two guys with the same exact swing, same exact physical makeup, but two different brains. They're going to have different issues. They're, they're going to, you know, their information is going to resonate differently in, in, into how the, that comes out on the field, how they respond to, you know, adversity, how they, how they respond to, you know, baseball's coming at them, what they see, what they feel like everybody's different. So when we look at players now, we have, you know, a formula to help these guys because we have so many, so many brilliant minds that, uh, like I said, without an ego, there's so much, you know, in our organization, this is one thing I preached heavily was the collaboration. Yeah. You know, in so many ways, you know, throughout my career, I saw the hitting coach and the strength coach, don't tell me what to do. I'll do my job. You do your job. That's nonsense to me because, you know, what you provided me, and I'm speaking personally, like you, Crusher, provided me, was, you know, far more than the hitting coach ever provided me because you gave me a re- I, I That's why I always, you know, gravitated towards science and like what's happening. I'm getting, I'm getting tired of being told just to grind and to, you know, swing down or do, do this and this, this. These are all baseball, you know you know, in quotation mark like related drills that they're not helping me improve. So I was always like, okay, well, what's really happening? Why is this happening to me? Why do I keep swinging to this pitch? Why can't I lay off that pitch? And then sometimes I can, you know, now we start understanding why. And it's, it's fascinating to me. And we have a staff that's fascinating to them as well. So now we can actually, we're, we're finding answers that we had no idea about 10 years ago. Oh, you know, so instead of putting, yeah, and it's, it, it is really exciting. Um, and, and to see this all kind of taking place and to, to listen to the conversations on a daily basis, you know, and then you see the players, this is the, the secret sauce is, you know, you can get anybody that's a genius that can understand it, but how do you relate it to, how do you relay this information to a 23 year old who, you know, signed when he was 20 and, you know, in three years, his only non-professional baseball, he doesn't have a degree from MIT. He didn't go to Harvard. And I'm not saying he's not capable of understanding the information. He's 23 years old. You know, and he's a professional athlete and probably had, you know, maybe he's had success in the major leagues. So he's got some money and he's got some fame. You know, it takes a special, special talent to have that kind of knowledge base and relay that information to a kid who, you know, is still going through maturity in life. You know what I mean? And that's where the, the secret sauce, and I, and I guess a guy that comes to mind is Willie Calhoun. I had Willie in, in LA. He was a you know, 22-year-old, 23-year-old kid who can really hit, um, was kind of out of shape, you know, not a great work ethic, just thought he could hit. Like, that was my pick to the big leagues. You know, and I worked with him a little bit in LA, and then you know, when I got the job in Texas, we had traded him to Texas, so now I'm with him again. And to see this kid, you know, basically change his entire life based on what the organization has done for him. They provided guidance and, and learning in every aspect of his life and how he eats, how he sleeps, how he prepares, when he gets to the field, what he does in his off time, what he doesn't do in his off time. You know, does he read? Does he understand the information that we provide him from us, you know, from an opposing pitcher standpoint, how he prepares every day, his physical preparation, his mental preparation, you know, his physical readiness, his mobility, his strength, all those things. Like this kid's done a 180 and is a, is a completely different person now. And that to me is like, that's enough. Like when I see a kid make that kind of transformation in his life at such a young age, 
that's going to change. That's going to have the, the long-lasting uh, effects in our organization for years to come. And people are going to see that. And other players are going to see that. And they're going to look up to him and say, wow. And he can give them examples of like, dude, two years ago, I wouldn't have been able to re- get past three pages of this of this book. Now I'm reading two books a week. You know what I mean? Like that's this kid's on a different level now. And he's going to be a better player because of it. Oh, and right there, Woody, you just described one of the most powerful influences a culture could ever possibly have. And I think it's safe to say a player has to feel safe in that environment in order to open up and become vulnerable enough to make those massive changes. Hey, that's a scary proposition, not just for a young player, but for any player. So so th- I think that that really reflects a lot on the type of culture that's there right now. That is incredible, man. Absolutely. And that's something, you know, so our mental skills, I don't want, I'm going to quote him because he's an absolute savage. Um, probably the best I've ever been around Josiah. Um, he mentioned it to us, you know, he's mentioned it. We, we talk all the time because, you know, one thing I, you know, a hundred percent believe in, like the mental skills coach was always the, the outcast on every team I played on. Yep. It was always the the guy who was sitting in the corner and just wait for the guy who was about to fall off the rails and then, Hey, you need to talk to so-and-so. It, you know, I basically told Josiah when I first got the job, listen, you're going to be front and center. You're going to be in the middle of this because what, what people do with their minds is everything the the physical, the mental, everything you talk about is controlled by your mind. So if we can't control that, it doesn't matter how much we teach him physically. Like he's incapable. The ceiling only raises when that mental ability becomes available. And, you know, Josiah talks about it all the time. He goes, what is safety and love? Honestly, safety and love. You know, when this whole thing went down, that was our conversation. You know, I wanted to make sure our organization was prepared. We were doing the right things for our players. You know, we got the phone call like, hey, man, we got to send everybody home. And now guys are on their own. They're uncertain about the future. Like what's going to happen? And he told me, he goes, safety and love. What is safety and love? That's everything. Mm-hmm. And when guys feel that, now it it it, it puts all of the you know the, the the fears and the anxieties and you know uncertainties aside because they feel safe. And then when they feel loved, now they feel supported. Now they feel like, okay, they got my back. I can fall. I, I'm going to fall into good hands. I'm okay. And those are two things that, like, honestly, in a normal world, we provide. I feel like better than anybody. But in this situation, especially, it's like vital. Like we have to do those things. Oh, such great stuff. You know, those aren't words we typically hear in the world of professional sports, but they're certainly all powerful. All right, everybody, we're going to cut out for a quick break here. Hope you've been taking notes. Hope you've been paying attention because we've got tons, tons more with Chris Woodward, the manager of the Texas Rangers, right after this on Crush Performance. Stick around. We'll be right back. Find out what it takes to be a top performer. Get the Crush blog, podcast, and newsletter at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Jeff Cruschel here. We are your weekly source for performance information. Hey, reach out to us. Questions, comments, smart remarks. We love them all. Crushperformance.com is the website. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush. And on social media, search out Crush Performance. And we'll hook you up with the world of performance. And this episode of Crush Performance notwithstanding a fantastic discussion so far with Chris Woodward, the manager of the Texas Rangers, uh, mainly getting to the idea of performance cultures, environments, and what it takes to help athletes truly, truly achieve their potential. Chris, listen, just some really, really powerful things have been said so far in this conversation, really great concepts. And, you know, I wanted to ask you this question today, you know, looking back, on your career, what are some of the things that you wish you had? But I think we're getting a really good idea right now. And you're painting a real clear picture that you are right now creating the environment that you wish you had. And that's very special. And for our part, you know, when I first started with the Blue Jays, the landscape for player and athlete development was so drastically different. Sports sciences was just sort of coming on the scene at that point in time. And it was very, very exciting as well. But just the fundamentals were still so, so important and and sometimes often missing. And one of the big things that I think I really tried to bring to the table every day was was that energy and that positive outlook, I think, but but trying to make it fun. And, and, And again, safe is an important one. But part of that fun is framing up failure for guys. Like, you know, everybody was just so anxious and worried about failing that I think, you know, I often thought that if we could somehow make that okay, it would be an entirely different world for so many players. And it sounds like that's kind of what's happening there. Yeah, absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head. It's like, you know, sometimes certain players, I don't like to use the word fun. 
for certain reasons, <laughs> because I'll take it to the, you know, hey, let's, let's <laughs> true, true they, enough. picture a carnival, yeah. <laughs> picture a carnival is fun. Now, right. you know, if you were to ask them, so I'm going to speak about Willie again. If you were to ask Willie Calhoun, his idea of fun two years ago, as opposed to his idea of fun now, his idea of fun two years ago would have been to show up with his headphones on and just have a good time in the clubhouse before the game, just be relaxed, not really care, have a care in the world, and then just go out and compete and then hope everything is going to be okay. And then he gets two hits and now he's happy. If he goes over four, he's not going to be happy. And so if you were to ask him now, like what his idea of fun is in a major league clubhouse and how to prepare and get ready to play a major league game and to win a major league game, it's going to be completely different. He's going to be like, I'm going to come to the field. I'm going to study this pitcher. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out what my, my game plan is going to be against him in the game. And then I'm going to figure out what my game plan is going to be to prepare for this guy physically, to prepare for this guy mentally. Like, what do I have to be thinking about right now? How can I set this machine up to throw his certain pitch? Or what, what am I going to have to look for? How is this guy going to get me out? And then you start, he really understands that now. And he understands, okay, how am I going to steal a base off this guy? Is this guy a big dirt ball guy? Am I going to have to get these, the reads in the dirt? Um, when I'm playing defense, what is my big focus today? Like, you know, these guys like to hit the ball out of the ballpark. What, you know, there's so many factors that he like truly enjoys. So his idea of fun now is getting ready to kick the crap out of the other team. But he <laughs> understands the he understands the recipe to do that. The blueprint to do that is no longer just strap it up and play. He's like, I have to do some preparation before I get out for battle. So when I do get fully prepared, see, this is the whole thing. Like. The one thing that stressed me out was my, if, if I was ever not prepared, right? That was my biggest fear of just being not prepared so that I didn't have enough talent. I felt like to do, you know, what maybe Mike Trout does and just go out and see ball, hit ball and, and launch. Now there's a lot of reasons why he can do that because he's, he's, you know, technically sound where he can just, that could be his mindset because he's so gifted, but he's also got a really good technique in how he hits. So that's what we're trying to teach our players. So when you're working in the cage, it's not just to get loose. We're working on things. Like we're trying to long, long term here, think about what can make me the most efficient player possible in hitting, pitching, you know, defense, how I, you know, break off of for a stolen base. Like how can I increase my, you know, my, my abilities every day. And, you know, when guys become obsessed with that, it is, it becomes an obsession. And I think like guys like Willie, he sees now the benefit of how that training, it, it, it helps him hit some homers last year. It helps him have some success. So now he gets frustrated when he sees other guys not do that. Yeah. Now he's like, hey, man, like you got to keep your, you got to hold your end of the bargain here. We're not going to win this game because you're going to have a huge at bat and you're not going to be ready. So he gets, you know, he'll get frustrated that sometimes at other guys. And that's where you start building a culture like Tom Brady, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, Kobe Bryant, all these great players, they demanded that their teammates hold their end of the bargain up. And they knew that they weren't, you know, going to be great players, some of their teammates. All they asked was, hey, man, as long as you're the most prepared player to step on the field, we don't care if you fail. I don't care if they fail. And that's something that's really hard for them to understand at first. Because they're like, wait a second, my manager doesn't care if I fail? Like, how does that work? And so I got a lot of questions. Like, no, I really don't care. Because I know that if you have talent and you prepare the way you're supposed to prepare every day, it's just a matter of time. Like you keep rolling the dice, you know, you're going to hit your number. Like it's going to happen. And, you know, I can withstand some failure as a manager if I know you're doing everything to, to figure things out. Now, if something's not figured out and it's taking longer, then that's what on our staff to kind of figure out, okay, well, what's the problem? Now we got to really critically, you know, critically think to problem solve without panicking and involve the player in that. And then that's when we come up with some solutions maybe that are, you know, a little more drastic and, okay, you got to make a swing change or you got to make it some, some major adjustment. You know, we got to start you on this path. But as long as I know they're doing that as well, I can support them through failure. But I can't support a guy through failure when I know he's not preparing the right way. Oh, or he's amen. not competing the right way. Yep. Or he doesn't have the right attitude. Or he's, you know, I mean, those are things that give you, give, let, allow me to give a player more rope to fail. And at the end of the day, man, when you get a player that's fearless, that has no fear of failure, or he really doesn't care if he fails, that's powerful. Like I know that anybody that's put a uniform on knows what that feels like. And that's usually when you feel at your best. You don't really care at that point. 
Yeah, that's when you become an unstoppable force. No question. We're talking with Chris Woodward, the manager for the Texas Rangers. Well, there's a um, um, a little bit of father. I could tell you're a father as well because the context of your statements is very, very important. And you're right. Putting fun into that context is so important. And I guess when I look back and I said fun – I wanted the guys to want to be there. Does that make sense, Woody? I tried to create an environment. Yeah. And I, we all did, not just me personally, but I, I took it on myself just in my role in an organization to at least in my little part of the day when I got access to the guys or was around the guys, I really wanted them to enjoy their time there. And the only way for me that made sense is get better. And that's exactly what you're talking about, man. Preaching to the choir here, mister. Yeah, and it's like it goes it goes right along with the positive mindset, right? Like, yeah. you know, I'm... I, I, truly enjoy my job and I truly enjoy coming and, and working every day. You know, I love playing, but my biggest regret is that I didn't enjoy it enough. You know, that's my biggest regret. And maybe that had something to do with the atmosphere and the environment I was surrounded by. It was, it was built on a, on an idea that you couldn't fail. And if you failed, you weren't going to be there. And that's, you know, you put your back against the wall too many times. You know, I was a fighter, so I, I fought for 19 years, <laughs> but it wasn't always enjoyable. And I think my last couple of years, even though I was in AAA, I really enjoyed those years because I basically said, you know what, what I do is enough. How I prepare, how I compete, my attitude every day, what I bring to the table for my teammates, how I treat my staff, that's good enough. And if I fail because, you know, if I fail on the field, I'm not, I'm not, uh, that, that doesn't determine who I am as a person. You know, if I'm, you know, hitting, you know, 210 or if I'm hitting 410, like that doesn't define me as a person. You know, once I define myself to say, you know what? this is bigger than the stats that show up on the field. That's when everything changed for me. And that's when I kind of really started to, man, if you can provide that for players, if you can truly provide that atmosphere for players, they, they, they live every day that they come to the field, they're positive. They're, they, they can't wait to get there. They can't wait to learn something. Yes. New. They can't wait to compete. You know, man, and it's, it's the, the length of the 162 game season doesn't become a grind. It's always going to be a grind, but you don't realize it because you're, you're in it and you actually love it. Yeah. You know, and I loved, I actually got to where I loved failing because I'm like, okay, now I get to figure some things out. You know, and then most guys panic when they start to fail, right? They can't fail. When you're, when you have the highest expectations in, in all the land and you're the best player on the planet, the expectations are off the chart, right? You can't fail. You basically, you know, Mike Trout, you know, he plays with a ease that, you know, he's comfortable. He's comfortable in his own skin. He's, you know, he can play, not every player can play that way because they don't have the, 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 the courage or the, confidence that they're going to be that good you know Mike Trout doesn't care if, if those other 99% of the guys they just scratch and claw just to live every day it's like no no we don't need to do that to live every day man like we're not defined by our success on the field we're defined by who we are off the field on you know within the lines how do you compete how do you prepare how do you treat your teammate those are the things that define you and that's when a guy understands that man it's, it's a liberating feeling as a player and you become probably the best version of yourself yeah isn't, isn't, wouldn't it be something, Woody, if um, our youngsters, our young players, and I'm talking even like through the grassroots, and this is all about coach education now, and that's why I'm so glad we could have you on the show today. I am hoping that so many coaches at every level of sport – get to hear this conversation because the emphasis on winning is just crippling, man. Now winning is important, especially at the level we're talking about here today. Winning is the ultimate prize, but the winning is incredibly out of our control. Um, what is in our control is what you, everything you talk about, the effort, the preparation, winning will be the result of a really good process. And, and I think, you know, the one thing that I really do miss about the organization and, and being able to work with guys day after day, month after month, year after year is really helping them become problem solvers. And I think you've done yeah. an incredible job here today uh, just sort of describing an environment where where players can become problem solvers. And, and if there's anything more powerful, I'm not sure I know what it is. Yeah, and, and no, you're exactly right. And one thing we, we hit on last year and I had our, uh, our mental skills guy put together a presentation about it was the idea of redefining success. You know, like I said, my whole career revolved around what was success for me. You know, I mean, I knew that I had to work hard and you know that like we worked, I, I tried to do everything I could to stay in shape, to yep. stay as ready as I could, to stay as strong as I could, all those things. But that wasn't the definition of success for me. My success was had everything to do with the stats on the field, you know, everything. And I, and I, and it was a horrible way to live. It's a horrible way to operate in life. And if you listen to all the great players, like listen to Kobe, man, just listen to what he talks about. What was his definition of success? You know I mean? When it came to preparation. 
that was his success. So he knew that he was free to, to, to compete however he chose once he got onto the court because of the preparation that he did beforehand. And, you know, when, when we talk about our success on the field, so if a hitter, you know, we talk about controlling the strike zone, swinging at strikes. Like, you swing and miss at a strike over the middle of the plate, nobody's going to say a word. Like, it's okay. And you're going to look at that as a failure. You're like, no, I put my best swing on the pitch I was looking for in the strike zone. I'm good. I can check off and move on to the next one. But the problem is, you know, when, when we're so tied up to, I can't miss that pitch, it affects us for the next pitch. You know, and Joey Gallo comes to mind with that because this guy was completely tied to his results. If he struck out, it was a failure, no matter how he struck out. Mm. Um, you know, and if he hit a home run, it was, it was a success. Obviously, it's hard to not have a success when you hit a homer, but sometimes he would have really good at-bats, but he would look at them as, as failures. And I tell him, man, like, you can only control what you can control. You're a human being. You're going to swing and miss. You're not going to be perfect every time. But if you can just put your, you know, your emphasis and your mindset on controlling what you can control, now you've, you've literally changed your, your version of success. Because I told Joey, I said, you might actually strike out three times in a game, and that might be a successful game. If you stayed in the strike zone, you didn't chase, you made the pitcher throw, you know, 30 pitches, whatever it was, and you did everything you could. You just swung and missed a few times. So what? You move on. We can talk about that after the game. Like you said, we can problem solve to figure out why you swung and missed in the zone. But if you're swinging the balls to bounce in front of home plate or over your head or taking balls right down the middle, you know, it, it's hard to, it's hard to, you know, define that as anything because you haven't really accomplished your goal and you've let your, your worry and your anxiety of, of failure get in the way of your performance. And we all do it. We all do it in business. We do it, you know, bottom line, that's all it is. You look at the companies that are really successful, right? They're, they treat their employees right. They know there's a blueprint for success. And they may have some dips in, you know, in, in those days. They may have some, you know, some valleys and they're going to have some peaks, obviously. But it's so difficult to, to create that when, they're, when they get paid off of those results, when they get paid off their stats. Right. I've always told, I've always told our front office, like, if we can actually pay our guys or, or place a lot of emphasis on our process stats, which have nothing to do with results. If I hit a line drive at the center fielder at 108 miles an hour and I get out, I'm 0 for 1. On the stat sheet, I'm 0 for 1. My OPS is zero, everything's zero. But if I hit a little blooper off my, off my knuckles at, you know, 60 miles an hour, but it hits the first baseline, first baseman dives, misses it, it kicks into the you know, crowd and, and I hit a double. That's a Two base, you know, now I got a, you know, OPS at 2000, you know, yeah, I'm great. That was a successful <laughs> bat, but it really wasn't. And so, you know, when we started looking at the really fine tune, like, Hey, we're going to dig into the process stats and that's going to be our success. Now our players understand those numbers. They understand what we look at because we don't look at the typical numbers internally. We just don't, we look at the things that we can control. So if guys hit the ball hard. If they hit the ball, you know, certain angles, if they stay in the strike zone, if they do those things, we know they're going to be successful. Even if their stats don't show it right now, we know over the long term that those stats are going to be really good. And, you know, we try to provide those to our guys all the time. But I'm like, if we could pay our guys on those stats, they wouldn't be pissed, you know, if they lined out to center field. They won't be mad. They won't be upset. They'll be like, no, that was a good result. I just got unlucky. That's part of baseball. And we've all, you know, played this game for so long. We know that there's, you know, luck involved, unfortunately, in the game. But, you know, we get caught up in, in whether we're actually successful on the stat sheet, and that's what gets in the way. And it snowballs into, you know, slums and, you know, long extended, you know, struggles because we're so obsessed with our results. Oh, I love it. We're talking about Chris Woodward, the manager for the Texas Rangers. I love the whole concept of process stats, man. I absolutely love that, Woody. You know, um, with leadership – of course, comes um, a different viewpoint of the game. And it's, there's challenges there that, that, of course, players don't have to deal with. And um, you come from a great background of so many years of playing, and now you're in that leadership role. And you have to have a kind of a checks and balances, I would imagine, Woody, between the optimism, the realism, keeping it real. But, but steering that ship um, takes uh, a different perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, you're always trying to be consistent in your message. You're always trying to communicate. And so, you know, I'm always talking about being positive and you know, I wear my positive shirts all the time. And I'm always, I've always kind of upbeat, you know, like obviously you set the tone for me way back in the day. I said, you know, I'm going to be like Crusher because 
you made me feel energized every day just being around you. And so I knew the value of that. And so I tried to be around you as much as possible. So now I feel like it's my duty and it always has been my duty, you know, to provide that. But there is a fine line, like guys need truth. And so one thing that I'm very, I'm very honest, I'm very honest with our players, um, very honest with our staff members, um, because they need to know I'm not going to sugarcoat something. I'm not going to provide them feedback that's counterproductive. Like I'm not going to tell them they're great when they're really struggling. Um, there's certain times when you need to be careful with the message. Uh, you know, obviously guys, egos and, you know, psychologically speaking, you can do some serious damage if you're, you know, too truthful or to the point and you just crush their confidence. Um, but at the same time, like if I believe in our culture and our atmosphere enough, I know we're going to provide them solutions. Right. So we're going to give them, whether we send them down or not, you know, Willie Calhoun comes to mind. I sent him down twice last year. The first time he didn't like it. The second time he didn't like it. And then after he came back the second time, he realized like, what have you been true to your word the whole time? You sent me down twice, but you never strayed from what you said you were going to provide me. And, you know, now he appreciates what the organization has done for him. It's changed his life. So we have to be truthful. I can't, I have to tell players the truth when it comes to, their performance and what we feel like we can improve and how we can improve. So that way they're never misled to believe that they're, you know, maybe going to get more opportunities than they're actually going to get. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways I'm brutally honest, but like I said, with always with a positive twist to it, to say, we can figure this out, man, it's going to be up to you. You know, we'll provide you everything you need. And if I didn't have that, I would be concerned. If I didn't have the staff and the necessary things that they need to improve, then I wouldn't be able to say those things. But I can say with all honesty that our organization provides them everything that they need from every aspect of their life. Um, so that's really refreshing and, and comforting for me to be able to provide that to them. And that just says a lot about, obviously, the hiring of the organization and how much they value you know, what I value in providing these things. Oh, that's great. You guys are in it together, man. That's what I just, I, I get, I just get a sense of family here in it together, man. And, and that's really important, especially in this day and age, as you and I talked about already, the game is changing so quickly. So let me ask you this, just shifting gears just slightly here, uh, Woody, um, looking at some of the new rules, because we know it's going to change how you guys manage the game, even how you set up your rosters. We've got 26 men on the roster. Now the three batters for the relief pitchers, that's a big change for relief pitchers and how we manage our pitchers now. And of course, you know, in the minor leagues, we're seeing the clocks and the timing come in. So there's these big changes happening in the game. You guys are in it together. Um, how's the organization or, or how do you feel about, about some of these changes, the 25 to 26 man roster, the three batters, the timing of the clocks and all, all these little uh, nuances that are changing the game so much. Um, yeah. I mean, it's something that uh, I'm not surprised by any of it because, you know, when I first got the job, I had, you know, conversations with MLB and with our staff and, we're always informed of these things, you know, light years ahead, I guess. <laughs> uh, we're told, you know, it's all about three batter minimum, you know, in November of 18. So, you know, I, I already kind of had, had heard of these things. So I try to be as proactive as I can and prepare for these things ahead of time. So um, I don't think, honestly, like, I, I, I embrace that. As, as a manager and as an organization, I've, I've tried to tell our, our, our people, like, we have to embrace change. We have to embrace the difficulty that that comes with because, Guess what? You know, and I, and I said this, you know, publicly, like kind of made some people laugh, but like, I don't mind a three batter minimum. I, I don't really care to be honest with you. As long as it's not like detrimental to the game itself and is not putting anybody in harm's way, you know, as far as pitching staff, but you know, managers that maybe have managed for 15, 20 years, you know, maybe now don't have the advantage on me that they used to have. Right. <laughs> yeah, the, sure. game, the, the strategy has changed a little bit. So we're all kind of in the same boat which, you know, if I do my homework and I prepare enough, at least we'll be on equal footing or maybe I'll have an advantage over a guy that's actually managed for longer than I have. So, you know, when you start moving the goalpost, as long as it doesn't change the, the integrity of the game, you know, I'm okay with it because being a young manager, like I'm trying to look for every advantage I could possibly get. So if that means we change the rules and I might have an advantage now, great. Yeah. Fantastic. And I actually do. Re I really appreciate having the extra man on the roster, um, you know, in terms of days off and resting guys. I also like the extra rest days. I like the um, as, as tough as it is. And we know that baseball is the most grueling um, competitive schedule in professional sports. But those extra off days 
um, I think could be really, really important if they're handled properly and framed up properly as well. So I'm with you, man. I, I kind of like all these changes. It's pushing the game in a new direction that I think is exciting. But there are some major changes coming, Woody, in the landscape of baseball that's going to impact a lot of people. And that's the potential uh, minor league contraction proposal by Major League Baseball, where they're talking about eliminating 42 minor league teams. That's 26% of the minor league teams. So for the young players entering or dreaming of playing pro ball, it's going to be a bit different landscape. But also now how, how organizations manage and deal with the players they have, there's going to be pros and cons there as well. Um, what, what's the overall feeling from your perspective on the, on the changes in the minor league game? Yeah, it is tough. It is tough to think about from a, uh, you know, I put my, my player hat on, you know, what it was like to be a player. I can, I, you know, it's hard for me to, I feel bad. I feel bad for, you know, anybody that's getting a uniform taken off of them. Um, especially from, a, you know, when you're in an organization, you have a chance. And that's something I always told, you know, guys when I played, guys when I started coaching, and then obviously the manager, like, you know, I've talked to our minor league guys often. And I, that's what I tell them. Like, as long as you have a uniform on, you got a chance. And so for us to kind of, for the industry to kind of, you know, I guess rip the jerseys off some of these guys, it's it's tough. It's tough to hear. But at the same time, on the flip side of that, you know, from an organizational standpoint or from a business side of it, you know, it, it does make sense in a lot of ways. And, and in some ways gives us, you know, a chance to maybe acquire some really, really talented players that we may have otherwise not been able to. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's tough on both ends. And I know with, with what we have going now, with uh, obviously the season being shut down and the likelihood of maybe a minor league season not even happening. Now we're really crunching some numbers um, and a lot of, you know, guys that maybe would have been drafted aren't going to be drafted guys that could, they missed their senior years in high school or in college. You know, they're, I can't imagine, like I know a few people from around our area that it didn't get a chance to play their senior year. I wouldn't have been drafted if we did, if I didn't play my senior year, yeah, there's man. no way that somebody would have, somebody would have drafted me after my junior year. Like I was good, but my, my senior year is really when I put myself on the map, I was kind of a late bloomer in, in kind of every way. So, you know, physically, you know, mentally I grew seven inches. So, I mean, I can, I can imagine like my whole life would have been different. You know, I would have been an engineer or something now, you know, wouldn't have the family I have, wouldn't have the career I have, who knows what, what where my life would have led. So I'm just thinking of my personal story, but there's so many guys like me. And I know that, you know, most guys are, are in my shoes where they're kind of maybe have a chance, maybe don't. And, you know, a lot of these guys aren't going to get their opportunities, which really makes me sad because that's kind of how I was obviously brought into this game. Oh, sure. There's so many stories out there like that from the grassroots game right up to the pros. You know, we just think when we just had a conversation here earlier today with some some of people in our group just talking about, uh, those athletes that missed the uh, NCAA March Madness. I mean, for the senior players where it yeah. might have been their first and last time to have that opportunity. Oh, my goodness. This this window that we're now in is incredibly unique and challenging. And somehow we've got to find a positive coming out of it. And I guess that's going to have a lot to do with our return to play, Woody. And, and we're getting close to that. I think I know there's been a lot of talk in a number of the leagues. Baseball has always been really progressive here. But when we talk about return to play now with this COVID shutdown and, you know, everybody looking to get back on the field, uh, yes, to get back into sport for sure from the business side, but also, you know, from the fans perspective, from society's perspective, having sport up again is going to be a really, really important thing on, on so many different levels. Um, what would, what, what are you thinking right now? I mean, this is such a unprecedented time. Um, a, a, a second spring training. What does return to play look like if if baseball does manage to come back and and have some sort of a season? Yeah, it's it's a really obviously you know we're having conversations you know three or four times weekly just just to try to get through everything that's uh, you know I think every, it's so fluid the situation is so fluid that it's changing every day. So, um, but I think that the few biggest keys for me are are, are obviously the safety of everybody involved. We're not going to put anybody at risk. Um, and I know MLB is uh, really taking that to heart. And there is obviously going to be a risk. There's going to be a risk no matter what we do. You know, before this whole COVID thing came down, like you were at risk just walking down the street, right? Right. Um, so now, obviously, there's greater risk. And we want to make sure we take all the precautions necessary. So anything that, that they come up with will, you know, we'll have hopefully testing. We'll make sure that we're constantly monitoring guys. We'll have our distancing. We'll have a bunch of guidelines, health protocols that, 
um, make sure we're limiting the exposure or the risk of, of infection in case somebody happens to test positive and, you know, otherwise it's, we, we don't really want to play in a quarantine scenario. It just doesn't make sense on so many levels. So we got to basically put our trust into each other to say we're going to be responsible. And it's kind of a, you know, a micro version of society, right? Like we all owe it to each other when we do open back up to be smart. You know, and I think that that goes a long way with MLB and, and everybody involved with that. Like we have to be smart about this. We can't be, be fools about it and think we're going to just be, you know, just do whatever we want. Now it's going to go back to normal. That's, that's not going to be the case for a while. So I think everybody understands that players know that obviously our staff and our organization knows that. So all these, uh, you know, these options that we're coming up with, uh, these scenarios, you know, it's, uh, it'd be really nice. I think everybody's itching to get back out there, but we definitely got to be smart about it and, uh, not put anybody at risk. Yeah, no, and that's the right way to go. And I think that's the message we're hearing across the board. And it's going to be a very interesting time as we look and pray to the sporting gods for the return of sport at all levels. So, oh, Chris Woodward, such a great, great conversation. Listen, I cannot wait to uh, see the grand opening of the new stadium there. We sort of missed that as well. So that's going to be a great event that we can all look forward to. And uh, Woody, thanks for this conversation and everything you've done for the game of baseball and certainly for the Texas Rangers. I hope you and everybody there and your family safe and sound and as we uh, slowly get back to normal here. Yeah, I appreciate it, Crash. Always a pleasure. And uh, you know, I love talking about the uh, the finer details of the of the game and, uh, you know, how much I, I value, you know, your your leadership throughout the years and a lot of, you know, what I've you know brought with me, you know, I, I got from you. So um, I really appreciate you having me. <laughs> thanks Woodrow my man my brother alright we'll talk to you soon All right. thanks Chris okay there you go everybody that is one powerful conversation with Chris Woodward the manager of the Texas Rangers uh, not only just a great leader he was a great player a great teammate he's also a great coach with the Los Angeles Dodgers and now poised and well on his way to being a great manager in the game of baseball. And of course, he's got great people around him and it's really, really a good fit. I'm glad that the Texas Rangers and Chris Woodward found each other at this time where they're really, really trying to and able to retool and reform how that organization is going to operate to get the best out of their, their players. Oh my goodness. There is so much to take out of that conversation. So much that we can think about. And again, if there was one thing that's happened here today in this episode is uh, hopefully we've got you thinking about some things that you might not have thought of before, because this isn't something that Chris just pulled out, you know, all of a sudden, Hey, I've got the job. What am I going to do? This is stuff that's been coming together through his playing coaching career. And now during his managing career and the good people around him, Oh my goodness, great stuff. Expectations, accountability, that when, when Chris talked about the secret sauce, helping players connect the dots, helping them be comfortable with failure and knowing that the organization has their back. Is there anything more powerful? And not just for the pro guys. Think of the conversation we just had. He's talking about the world's best players. Imagine if we had this approach, this kind of mindset with our youth where we were so we're so focused on winning. And again, if you go back to that incredible conversation we had with Amanda Visick from Washington University about their great work on the fun maps, why children play sports. Out of the 81 factors of why kids play sport, straight from the mouths of the babes. This is input straight from the children and the athletes they, they surveyed. And they came up with 81 points that were the most important factors in why kids play sport. Winning didn't even get in the in the top 10. Winning didn't even get in the top half. It was number 46 or 48 out of 81. That's how important winning is. Winning is not important. Winning's not even in your control. And I love that conversation with Woody. Oh, when his guys get fearless, that's when true performance really, really happens. Learning from failure, harnessing, embracing failure. And we're hearing this all the time now, but who's actually doing it? Oh, such great stuff. Anyway, you guys can go back and listen to this. Go to crushperformance.com, hit on the podcast button and it'll be posted there and you can go back and listen to it. I'm going to listen to it a number of times. And I'm going to share this one, frankly, with all of my colleagues in sport because this is a conversation for the ages. This is, and somebody said it earlier, we uh, had a couple of people who listened to the interview 
And uh, it's like a masterclass on performance environments. <laughs> it truly is. Uh, this is a, a true work of art. I want to thank Chris Woodward for that. And I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Listen, we've got some great shows coming up. We know this is a challenging time, not just for, for sport, but for everybody. Business, schools, classics, children, youth, uh, parents, and of course, all the employers out there. And, and it, uh, this COVID shutdown has really, really impacted everybody. What are we going to do about it? We're going to have a, a very, very important conversation conversation with the coach of champions Jim Fannin next week about framing this up and creating a blueprint for success there are some really really important things I want to get to with Jim and if you have things you'd like us to ask him please write to us in for crush performance uh, we'll be talking to Jim next week and then after that we're going to be talking to our good friend Joe Baker sports scientist at York University we're going to talk to him about again talent development and talent ID you know we are terrible at talent ID and we're not getting any better. We're going to talk to Joe Baker about why. Why is it so hard? And why are we so terrible at predicting talent? Could it be predicting future talent is so complex that it's unpredictable? We're going to get to the bottom of that one in the next few weeks. So uh, stay tuned for those great episodes coming up. Until then, everybody, get out there. Use this time to get better. And we'll talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance. Don't forget to ride. I'm Jerry Petuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>